Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we have mental health conversations with transparency. Today, I'm recording from home as we are still abiding by safer at home orders. When you are finished listening to this episode, please rate, subscribe, and comment. Reviews are everything. Today, I'm so excited to have on not one, but two authors that I'm so excited to have both of them. And let me tell you a little bit about them. With 40 years of experience in emergency services leadership and over 600 authored articles, Supercharge Your Stress Management in the Age of COVID-19 is Mike Tegman's second book. The techniques in his book are distilled from practices Tegman has been teaching since analyzing the factors that minimize post-traumatic stress disorder among those who had worked during 9-11. Mike's expertise includes stress management, resilience, EMS street survival, patient-centered leadership, and effective quality and performance improvement. He teaches improvement science as an assistant professor at the University of San Francisco and is an adjunct professor at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Sasha Leibowitz is a writer and author of Living Every Minute of It, a blog about living each day with patience, tolerance, kindness, and love toward oneself and others. A former New York lawyer, she now lives in California, focused on family, writing, and being of service to others. She holds a BA from Columbia College and a JD from NYU. Welcome, you guys. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Hi. How does it hear to sound to hear your bios like that? <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's always it's always a little weird to to hear the kind of the litany of CV stuff, you know. Yes. Well, you're both very impressive, and I'm very honored that you agreed to come on and talk about, we're going to talk about COVID today and trauma and frontline workers. And maybe I'll slip in some teachers. If you consider them some frontline workers, I've got things in my mind. But the first thing I actually want to say is in your book, you talk about your wonderful sister, Sue Tegman, right? Yes. And I think I know her. I think she was a board member of Namaqua Center, where I was the clinical director, and she was an awesome board member. She actually was, and uh, and she is uh, she is remarkable on a whole yes. lot of levels. Yeah, it's it's funny how the memory works. I haven't you know spoken to her probably in years, and I saw that name, and I was like, I know Sue Tegman, and then I thought I remember her because she has this amazing voice. She has like this really powerful, clear voice. That's what I remember about her. Actually, she and I just uh, just wrote an article together on uh, on coming home at the end of a shift when you're a frontline worker. So, oh wow, amazing! Yes, she is. Well, good. Well, the first thing I want to ask you is, I need to know how you wrote this guide so quickly, as we are still in the battle against COVID. Tell me about that. We wrote this guide really quickly because um, it was needed really quickly. And that the how of it was, it was birthed from a webinar that Mike kind of threw together at the very beginning of the crisis. His work with EMS providers and uh, law enforcement, they were noticing this huge surge in stress-related injuries um, among the workers. In, in connection with working COVID. And they said, you know, we need help with this. And Mike said, oh, you know, I can do a webinar for folks. And they said, that'd be great, that'd be great. And they, they sent out, I think, one tweet. And four days later, over 10,000 people had registered for this webinar on stress management. 
and I don't know how many people have seen it at this point, but in the webinar, um, we gave the techniques that we put in the book and a lot about the neuroscience of stress and also Mike's email and phone number. <laughs> and afterwards, we just got this tsunami of feedback from people that it had really helped them. And so that, that was the fire to say, we need to kind of get these messages out more widely. And so we uh, drafted it in one weekend and then pulled together uh, an amazing team, some of which are colleagues of yours, um, Billy and Nifat and uh, a batch of other folks. And we just said, you know, hey, this is uh, this information could be really helpful to a bunch of folks working, uh, working the crisis at this point. Um, will you work kind of overtime and work your nights and work your weekends uh, to help us get this out. And they uh, they pulled a rabbit out of a hat. So we went from having a notion to publish a book to having it available on Amazon in less than two months. Yeah, for anybody who doesn't understand that, that that's remarkable. <laughs> um, but so needed. I'm so glad that you were so committed and translated this into something. I read it cover to cover. I finished it late last night. And I was smiling a lot throughout it because I thought, Yep, this is just trauma work, trauma work, trauma work. This is, and for anybody listening, I, I want to tap into your specific experience around police officers and EMTs and all of that. Um, but I also want everyone to know that this applies to anybody at all. These are stress management techniques, whether you're in the age of COVID or just your everyday life. They're really good, solid, healthy techniques. So I, I will start off by saying that we, we all need to allow ourselves to feel fear and accept it and, and try not to and try not to hide it. That's something that you actually say in the book. Can you explain more about this, especially for those who are parents with their children's eyes watching them? Let's start with parents and then please feel free to go on to the frontline workers as well. You know, I, I think one of the one of the things that really um, speaks to me from a, a parent perspective, and our nine-year-old is on his Zoom camp in the back room as we're uh, we're chatting now. <laughs> is kind of the, the open loop nature of our limbic system that sometimes it's hard for parents to, to remember that how they feel inside gets transmitted to their kids. And when a parent comforts uh, an upset child just with their presence and just showing up, that's kind of a, a manifestation of our ability to really regulate other people's stress response, their cardiovascular system, their immunologic system, um, just with our our connection and our presence, but um, the the first step in that is you got to take care of your your own stuff, um, so that um, when you're connecting with others, particularly with your kids, um, that um, you're you're doing so in a way that is is safe and honest and nurturing, because um, kids have a a pretty finely honed BS detector, and they'll know if you're faking. I'd like to add on to that that. Um... My kid seems to be our our kid. Sorry, honey, our kid, <laughs> our child seems to be a little bit more resilient and adaptable than I am. And in some ways, I think that part of his resilience and adaptability comes from us having a practice of being honest with him when we're stressed and saying, you know, I'm stressed out and. It's just kind of a part of a fact of life. 
rather than trying to hide it and then just being edgy or grouchy or, you know, teary in the bathroom, he can smell it, you know, he can smell when I'm off. So it's better to just come out with it, uh, name it and get a hug and move on. So there are two things I want to say about this. First, you reference Daniel Siegel and Bruce Perry a lot in the book. And Bruce Perry was, I guess, just before you guys. So I I um, listened to that podcast. It was wonderful. Wasn't it so good? He's He's so good. good. And so So, are you. Thanks for listening to that. One of the things I learned from Bruce Perry very early on, and I'm sharing this because maybe this will be kind of a mantra. It's a mantra that goes through my head. It's not even something I consciously pull from is a dysregulated adult cannot regulate a dysregulated child. And that goes through my head. It's just a mantra. It's a daily mantra. And it helps me, obviously, in my parenting. It helps me in my own work. And so if anybody's listening, that's, I think, I hope, essentially a a mantra that can come from what you essentially just shared with us. You have to take care of yourself first. Oxygen mask on adults first, then kids. It cannot go the other way or you pass out and you can't help your kid, you know? And so... <laughs> That if I could change the cover of my book, that's what it would have been like a a mom putting her mask on first, that airplane, you know, visual. But the other thing I want to say is I didn't, um, I got this last night when I finished the book. There is a great story, Sasha, in the book about you love white and your kid is eating pasta and marinara sauce on your white couch. And can you take us through that story? Because my heart was pounding and I have to admit that I don't <laughs> think I would have handled it the way you did. So please give us some tips and tell the story. It's the stress response. Our our child um, does love pasta marinara and yes, he eats it in the living room while watching TV. I'll cop to that. And our living room is white. We have, you know, the Belgian linen white sofas, which I said he's He's seven now. It should be fine. No. And he was clearing his dishes like a good little boy. And kaboom, his pasta marinara flew like Jackson Pollock, Rorschach test all over our white living room. And I was watching from our open kitchen. My eyes did widen, which is a physiological stress response. My heart did start beating another sign of stress response. Um, but I didn't open my mouth. I took a deep breath. I said, oh, and Mike said, oh, and we all kind of said, oh, what are you feeling? And I said, I'm feeling surprised. And just labeling the emotion in that moment shifted it from me just immediately going off the handle, like, oh my God, what are we gonna do to, calming down and being able to say, okay, what do we need to do? We need to get the OxyClean and, um, and get this going. And we got to work and it was kind of like a nice evening. And that, that is the gift for me. You were saying, you know, does this book apply to teachers? Yes. Teachers are frontline workers. And, you know, frankly, I think parents at home with children are frontline workers, not to diminish the extra stress of actual healthcare workers and people working out of the home, but, oh man, there's a lot to be stressed about in the home. And this, these techniques have really helped me as a mother. Wonderful. So I do want to underscore that, you know, even as I hear you 
saying the story again, I think to myself, why not have that? Oh, I'm surprised response rather than freaking out because the end result, like the marinara was going everywhere anyway. So you can choose to go into the cleaning process of it, you know, together and like, you know, maybe later talking about like, hmm, look, you know, how could we prevent that from happening again? Or you could go into it with screaming and tears and anger and scrubbing. And I feel like it's just such an important point. If we take that story, you know, I think to the next level of talking about our frontline workers um, in hospitals and clinics dealing with COVID, can you guys talk about how, you know, they can strengthen their skills and their grits and resilience right now? What are some of those top tips? You know, certainly, you know, when it comes, I I tend to think about it as resilience is the stuff that you do before you get into the muck and stress management skills are those things that take care of you while you're in the middle of the mess. And then all the trauma-informed therapies, uh, EMDR and prolonged exposure therapy and all that stuff are for you if you get uh, kind of an emotional or psychological injury that you need help with on the other side. From that resilience perspective, you know, the basics of eating and sleeping and getting some exercise, um, a little bit of some kind of a mindfulness practice are those things that really increase your capacity to deal with uh, rough waves when they happen in your life or in your world. And kind of pairing those with some skills to manage emotions in the moment, you know, the one that Sasha just displayed which is that labeling your emotion, just the process of putting a word to what you're feeling pulls you just a little bit out of the stress response, creates a little bit of an observer, which gives you access to a bigger part of your uh, smart brain, if you will, that, that little, little bit of a pause so that you're not you know, reacting purely from your emotional response and emotional brain decreases your stress response and allows you to make better choices in the moment. I'd like to add also that um, shifting, a a really great technique for me is realizing when I'm stressed that I could be in threat response. Oh my gosh, we're all, you know, doomed. And shifting the stories I tell myself so that I can change it to challenge stress. Oh, wow. You know, what's happening is happening. And how am I going to tackle this project? There's actually neurobiology, blah, blah, science, about how when we shift into challenge stress, we perform better, we're calmer, and we have better results than when we're in threat stress, which is uh, sort of depleting. One one more last little bit about building your resilience, which is particularly useful in this time. Um, There's a, a book that was published last summer called Compassionomics. Um, which really is a, a, a lovely, thorough description of all the science related to compassion and healthcare. And they have an entire uh, section toward the end of the book that shows that extending compassions to others builds resilience for yourself. And in this time where, you know, we're, we're dealing with uh, the racial injustice and uh, COVID and, and murder hornets and our crazy political system, if we can get connected with our compassion and, and realize that, that people who it feels like are on the other side of whatever issue you're discussing or having their own stresses and experiences, and, and you can feel connected and compassionate with them without necessarily agreeing with their position. Um, compassion does not imply agreement. 
Um, it implies connection and a desire to ease and, and relieve suffering for others. And that is a that is a practice that the opportunity for it exists all over the place. And it's got demonstrated neurological and psychological benefits for you as the person providing compassion. Yeah, I like I like the way you put that. I hope people are really absorbing that to be compassionate can be a process that's helpful for someone else, but also for your own self. It really feeds into your own self. You mentioned racial inequality, and I'm really struck by a story that you tell in the book. Uh, It's a tragic incident where police had responded to a domestic violence situation that uh, turned on them and killed one officer and struck another who was your friend. Given the unrest in our country today around systemic police brutality and the violence that's accompanying ongoing protests, what are your thoughts around police training? You have many years of experience working with frontline workers and in crisis. What needs to be done or changed in our country to make responding to high stress situations safer and more effective in your opinion? So law enforcement training is vital um, for both the communities served by law enforcement and for the officers themselves. And there's, you know, kind of a a cluster of things that I think are vital for uh, law enforcement training. And actually, I'm engaged in a podcast tomorrow training 4,500 police officers on stress management. So this is pretty up for me. Um, so there's the, the resilience on emotional and psychological and physical resilience that is a, a vital part of police training. In the moment, stress management um, is, is vital. Um, really understanding implicit bias. And I don't know if you've had the opportunity to take the, the Harvard implicit bias test. Um, I really encourage your listeners to, to look it up, take it you're likely to discover some deep-seated biases that you've got that you might not be aware of. Um, it's a little a little uncomfortable, so it, it helps if you've got a good therapist like yourself to process <laughs> process that kind of kind of reaction with. But um, but discovering your own biases, bringing them to the surface so that you can challenge them and and lessen their impact on your interactions and and behavior in the world. And and this this goes all around. It's not. It's not just a benefit for law enforcement. It's a you know a benefit for if you're if you're out protesting, um, if you if you can you know realize that you've got you know biases about law enforcement, just like you know people have biases about ethnicity or or gender or sexual orientation or um, you know whatever the biases people have in the world, you know discovering them and and working with them um, so that they decrease your impact is huge. Another really essential part of law enforcement training, particularly around the in custody uh, deaths that have uh, that have happened um, as of as of recent, is is a little bit of medical training on recognizing when somebody in your custody is having a medical emergency and medical crisis, and shortening the speed between recognizing uh, for recognizing it early. And then getting that person clinical help as quickly as possible would likely have a, a, a big help and a big impact in this world. So a couple of things. Um, is that Harvard implicit bias test, is that free and available online? It is. Okay. So let's say somebody, I, everybody, we all know, or maybe we don't all know, but everybody should know we all have, we all have biases whether we are in touch with them or not or comfortable with them or not is a different part, but we all do have bias. There's no question about it. We see it in babies and we know this. So you know it, you get the information, 
What do you do with it? That's a great question. So uh, awareness and, you know, it's kind of like diagnosis is 90% of the cure in medicine. Um, so being, being aware of it is the, is, the, is the first step. And then, you know, doing those kind of deep introspective, you know, whether it's mind games or whatnot, to really challenge uh, the story that you tell yourself. Is the spray of marinara really going to ruin my life or is it just something to clean up? Is my initial reaction to somebody with a different skin color or somebody in a wheelchair or somebody in a uniform uh, something that I need to hang on to, or is it something that maybe I can, I can transition or transform? And my own personal experience has been, you know, being in deep dialogue with people that I may have had some bias about in my life has been hugely transformative of having real meaningful conversations with, with folks who I have, I have differences with. And it, for me, it's not, it's not ethnicity so much as it is political these days. And just the way it relates to all of what we're, we've been talking about on a macro level is how do we want to show up in the world? How do we bring out our truest, best selves, given that we do have emotional responses and stress responses that seem to arise and dictate how we want to be reacting so strongly in a moment when that isn't necessarily what we want to do. So it's, you know, given that there are all these external situations, there are people from backgrounds and customs that we don't relate to. There is this global pandemic that seems to require us to completely be changing our lives in ways that we don't necessarily want to. You know, there is a a whole host of things happening outside of ourselves. There is marinara falling on the sofa, but how do I, given that the world isn't always working exactly the way I feel comfortable with, how do I show up and walk through it with, you know, gee whiz, maybe even some grace, ease, comfort, and joy, you know, on the list of things to do, eating right, sleeping right, exercising right, having some kind of awareness practice, I put, you know, scheduling some fun, you know, what's fun, because fun used to kind of just show up in my world. And now that I'm just home, you know, with these people, (laughs) I kind of need to make a special effort to reach out to my girlfriends to reach out to, to have some fun and the, the stress management techniques for sure help just give a little bit of space between what's happening outside of myself and allowing myself to react and respond in the world the way I want to. I love that. I I think that sometimes when people even hear a title like supercharge your stress, you know, and they hear these things that feels like you're going to, (laughs) you're going to get these tools that are out of reach or so, you know, outside of what you know to do, but some of the things that you all are talking about are things that people can start doing today. Right. Right. Right now, those of you that are listening could just wiggle your toes and you could wiggle wiggle your toes right now, Dr. Shaw, you you could do it right now. I'm doing it. Doing it. And, 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 (laughs) and when I tell people that they look at me like I've got three heads and it's like, are you, you know, you're some California woo woo weirdo 
who's telling me to wiggle, wiggle my toes. And, and the reason we tell people to wiggle their toes is part of the stress response is you lose sensation in your extremities so that if you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, if the tiger bites you, it won't hurt as bad so you can fight or run and, and survive. Um, so a lot of the techniques we use in the book are really fooling your nervous system into activating a, a relaxation response. When I, I did on the webinar that Sasha described at the beginning, I talked about wiggling your toes. And one of the emails I got was, for, was from an F-16 fighter pilot um, who, when he was uh, getting ready to fly his very first mission in Iraq, um, his squadron commander was up on the ladder next to his cockpit with the cockpit open, giving him his last minute flight instructions. And his squadron commander said, I want you to remember one thing as you fly. And he's, and he was thinking, okay, I got to pay attention to my aileron or, you know, looking at the wing distance from other aircraft. And, and his instructor said, I want you to wiggle your toes throughout the flight. And he kind of looked at his flight instructor, like, are you kidding me? Wiggle my toes. And his instructor said, if you wiggle your toes throughout this flight, uh, your head will be more in the game. Your performance will improve. I guarantee it. And, and I shared this story with um, a group of uh, basically the, the Faculty of Reproductive Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, all the, which is one of the world's leading reproductive medicine centers, um, an and epic uh, group of physicians. And I mentioned this story. And, and they said, you know, when we're going to be doing uncomfortable procedures on patients, we always tell them to wiggle their toes for the same exact reason. So simple techniques like that, that you can do anywhere, anytime, in the moment, can help you dial down your stress response give you more access to your smart brain and allow you to take better, more effective, more compassionate action in any circumstance. Yeah. I mean, it's bringing awareness, right? It's consciousness. It's, it, we could say that's a mindfulness technique, Absolutely. right? Where a lot of people would say like, what my, I don't know. I don't practice mindfulness. Nope. Just simply being consciously aware to wiggle your toes. I did it last night in bed and I was like, oh, my toes are freezing. Oh, I really want socks. Huh, you know, and it was like this awareness of I'm not going to sleep yet because I'm uncomfortable because my toes are so even right now, my toes are cold. Right. So then it made me get out of bed. I put on a pair of socks. I was more comfortable. Simple. Nice. <laughs> That's a win. That's a triumph. That's and, a win. And the, you know, people say, what is the best stress management technique? It's the one you'll do. Whatever yes, I love that. I love that you, you, uh, you talk about that with meditation because I think meditation, the term feels like something either that's unattainable or like you said, a little too out there for some people. And, um, I have taken meditation courses in person. I've, and I always downplay like, Oh, I just can't do it. My mind's always racing. And then I have to remember piece of, of advice, like you just said, which is five minutes, do it. Even if your mind is racing all over, it's a start. And so that helps me um, in the morning when I think I'm not good at this, right? That's what my inner critic says about meditation. I'm not good at this. My mind is just going to wander. I get really fidgety and itchy, you know, and I move a lot. So, but I love that piece of advice. You know, I'm a native New Yorker. I just, uh, I, I don't know, you know, it's a long story how I wound up here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very in touch with the culture of, you know, meditate. I'm too busy, you know, or uh, who's that popular guy who says, you know, I'm too busy going to stop and get gas. 
And um, I, I'm very in touch with my inner skeptic, my inner critic, my um, person who says, you know, just suck it up. You know, the proof really is in the pudding. I'm a lot um, more effective person when I do these techniques and I, you know, don't tell anyone I said that because I like to, you know, keep my swagger on as a you know, tough New tough, Yorker. toughie. But the truth is the biggest toughies out there, the, uh, the military people and the frontline workers, the ones who are really doing a great job right now are doing this stuff. And um, it works for, it works for, for me. That's amazing. I think it works for, it could work for everybody and it, and it works for thousands of people. And I thank you so much for, for training our law enforcement, for supporting them. I think they need a ton of support right now and for sharing all of your wisdom so quickly. And in the webinar, I'm also curious, is the webinar still available to people if they want to take that course? It is on our website, combat combatcovidstress.com. Under the resources page, the entire webinar is there along with a bunch of others. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with people. I think I'm going to take a look at that myself. I've been really aware. I've been, you know, treating people throughout this whole COVID and being aware of how am I doing with my own stress management. So anything else you want to share? Um, Because your, your book is about training your brain to stay calm in a crisis situation. If you had one more tip to share as we wrap up our conversation today, what would it be? I I think the most important thing to know is that you have more control over your stress response than you believe. You know, it it doesn't have to control you. You get to control it. And there are a lot of techniques. You only need one that works for you and pick the one and overlearn it and overlearn it and overlearn it so that when you're in the middle of the muck, it becomes automatic. It's hard to use them when you have to remember them when you're in the, in the worst of it. Um, So it needs, it needs to be, you know, like breathing for you that it just happens. Yes. And you do that through practice. So, right. The mantra in my head and all of that, at first it was practice. Now it's automatic, deep breathing. At first it was practice. Oh, belly breathing. Now it's automatic, but you have to practice it. Exactly. And I'd like to add that it can be fun to be in this process. And it can be a family affair, if that's your situation to just have this be an open conversation. What are we trying today? Oh, you know, and we don't need to do this alone. Everyone everywhere is feeling extra stress these days. So we might as well manage it together. Absolutely. Compassion for thyself and compassion for others um, and more grace to other people, I think is a huge part of managing our stress during COVID. Thank you guys for being on and thank you everyone for listening to this episode of my podcast. Please rate and review this episode and share with anyone who you think would benefit from it. To stay connected, please subscribe. Episodes are released every two weeks. Thank you so much. Take care.